beginning in verse 1. It said, then called he, talking about Jesus, then called he his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure all diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Excuse me. Notice the only criteria... Excuse me. Notice the only criteria for healing the sick people, any sick that were there in the cities that they entered into, whether it's small sickness, minor sickness, or or severe, critical, life-threatening situations. The only requirement was for the people to receive them. Now, the ninth chapter tells us, ninth chapter of Luke tells us some other things. It tells us about Herod's issues with Jesus. It tells us about where Jesus fed the 5,000. But skip down with me to verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them saying, whom say the people that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, but whom say you? That I am. And Peter answering said, The Christ of God. Verse 21 And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Now, folks, if you compare some of these scriptures that we emphasized, where they start off with Jesus giving them power and authority to, to, over diseases and evil spirits. Then when he asked him later on in the chapter, and I'm not pretending that this is uh, uh, even the same day that these things take place, but the Holy Ghost grouped them together for us, I believe, to, to give us insight into certain things that uh, it seems to me we overlook. But notice it says that he told them, sent them out after he had given them authority over devils and disease. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. First and foremost, we see without a shadow of a doubt, healing is part of the kingdom of God. Has to be. Because he told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the only thing that would keep people from being healed is if they would not receive. If they wouldn't accept what was being preached and what was being taught. But I want you to focus on something else here. When we think about preaching the gospel or preaching the gospel of the kingdom, as it mentioned several places in the four gospels. I always thought, maybe you're like me, maybe not, maybe you're smarter than I am or smarter than I was. But I always had the idea that any time the Bible talked about preaching, especially the gospel, it's talking about preaching about Jesus. But if they're preaching Jesus, then why would Jesus have to ask the disciples who do they say that he is? They can't be out preaching Jesus. Now, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that there are a lot of times that that, uh, uh, the disciples are preaching and they talk about things that they saw Jesus do 
or talk about the healing power of God and the miracle working power of God that was delegated to them by Jesus. So I'm not saying that Jesus was never mentioned. I, I don't see how that would be possible. But these guys are not scholars. They are not learned men, learned men. You remember in, um, after Jesus is raised from the dead in Acts chapter 3, where they healed the guy at the beautiful gate of the temple, the crimple, uh, guy at the beautiful gate of the temple. It tells us that they were called before the, the uh, Pharisees and the religious council. And they questioned them and they told them about the name of Jesus. They said how the name of Jesus had healed the man. They just simply did what Jesus told them to do before he was crucified. And it said they took knowledge of them. That they were uneducated men. They recognized their boldness. But there was no education or educational qualifications that were met. And education in the context that we're talking about that the religious leaders would have recognized and, and in fact saw that there wasn't in and upon them would have to be religious education. These guys are not scholars of the Old Testament and they knew nothing about what was, what was to come in the New Testament. So why in the world would Jesus delegate authority and power over the works of the devil and specifically to heal sickness and disease when they would not know and would not have known anything about what to preach. What should they have preached? Well, again, we always think about preaching Jesus. But Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Well, that indicates that they haven't been. And he wants to make sure that they don't. Now look to Luke chapter 10. Just go over a chapter and let's see the next thing that happens. Verse 1. After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few. If that was true in Jesus' day how much more true is that today? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And in whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. And if not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house and into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you. Here's the receiving them again. Eat such things that are set before you and heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now the rest of the chapter is Jesus finishing his instructions to them. But every one of the instructions that he gives them has to do with their behavior and the way that they conduct themselves while they're out in ministry. There's not a word in there with the 12 in Luke chapter 9 or the 70 in Luke chapter 10. There's not one word in there about what to preach. Now, folks, that's a real important issue, wouldn't you think? Jesus can't be just telling these guys, go out there and tell them whatever you know. Because they don't know anything. Over and over and over again, 
Jesus upbraids them for their hardness of heart for not listening to what he said or believing what he had said before or whatever the case might be. So what in the world are they preaching? Look with me to verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. They return. The 70 return. I'm sorry, it's verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He's not talking about right then when they did anything or went out to minister. He's talking about Satan being a defeated foe when he raised a third of the angels against God and God cast him out into the earth. He's simply identifying that the devil is is defeated. He's already been cast down and cast out by the power of God. So he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So these guys have a pretty successful campaign. I don't know what the length of time is that they were out, but they seem to go out as a group and come back as a group. And they find that the evil spirits, which were not a part of what Jesus had commissioned them or commanded them to do, but they found out through the use of the name of Jesus that they even had authority over devils. Well, they've got to be using the name to find that out, don't they? Any way for them to know that specifically? Any way for them to come back and say, even the devils, evil spirits are subject to us through thy name? The only way you can get to that place is to use the name of Jesus. But what are they preaching? See, folks, it seems to me, and, and even though it would, it's inappropriate in one sense of the word, for us to compare ourselves with these guys, because these guys are all unsaved. They weren't born again, couldn't be born again until after Jesus was raised. So they're using the power of God and experiencing success in the use of the power of God through the name of Jesus. That seems to be much greater than what we have access to or or exposed to today. And so what do we do? Well, we try to convince people that the Bible is true. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Thank God for the ones we're able to convince. But these guys are operating on a different level and getting different results than the modern day church gets. How is that possible? Look with me to Matthew chapter 10. Let's see what Matthew's account of this looks like. Verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples and gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the apostles are these, and he goes through and names them. Verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying. Now we're going to find out a little bit what he told them to preach or what they understood to preach. And when you go, or as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely you get, freely give. 
So all of those things in verse 10 have to be part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The way that the Bible uses kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, there are a few times, not many, but there are a few times when heaven is used in context to talk about the place where God lives. But most of the time it's just used as as a representation of God himself. Most times, not every time, but this is certainly one of the times that it is. Most times, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. Talking about the same exact thing. So he told them again, verse 7, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, because that's part of the kingdom of heaven. Cleanse the lepers, because that's part of the kingdom of heaven. Raise the dead, because that's part of the kingdom of heaven. Cast out devils, because that's part of the kingdom of heaven. Freely you have received, freely give. Don't withhold because there are people you don't like as well as other people. So what are, the, what are we to understand that these guys are preaching? Well, Luke chapter 9 tells us that Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Here in Matthew 10, they were told to preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, they're out there preaching the kingdom of God, not preaching Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What is that? I believe Jesus gave us a definition when he taught his disciples to pray. You remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then the next thing Jesus says is, thy kingdom come, which tells us it hadn't come yet. Thy kingdom come, what does that mean? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the preaching, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And that's exactly the way God created the earth to be. Six days of creation. After that, God made an end of everything that he made. Anything that's not present in those first six days, God didn't make it. And sickness is nowhere in sight. God looked at the earth his creation, and said that it was very good. Well, what was very good about it? There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. Man had been created and given authority, dominion and authority over the earth, over all the things that God created. It was a place by the will of God where his will took precedence here on the earth and was done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And that's the good news that the 12 and the 70 were sent out to preach. God wants things for you here on the earth, just like they are in heaven. Now, it's contingent on faith. Jesus told both the 12 and the 70, if the people won't receive you, you won't be able to do anything about it or for them. All they have to do is receive what you're saying. I wonder if that's true today. I wonder, is it possible for the will of God to be done on the earth today just like it is in heaven, just like the Bible says God wanted it to be and that Jesus taught the people to be or taught them that it would be? Jesus made a big deal about not doing his own work, or I'm sorry, about his, the work that he was doing, not being his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. 
He made a big deal about that. Got him in trouble with the Pharisees because the Pharisees hated the fact that he pointed out on occasion that the father had sent him because they said if Jesus claimed to be the son of God or claimed that God was his father, that made him the son of God and that was blasphemy because nobody could be sons and daughters of God at that point. The Old Testament prophets had prophesied that it would be, but it hadn't become so yet. But Jesus made a big deal about saying, the works that I do, I do not of myself, but by the will of the Father. He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is carrying out the will of God on the earth. Well, is the will of God any different in Jesus' day than he was when the earth was created? Couldn't be. God never changes. So whatever God's will was at the creation... And the way that he made the earth before sin had any effect on mankind whatsoever. That has to be the same will that he has today. Now, folks, if we back up and take a big picture view, and I know a lot of times it's easy to get stuck in the weeds. It's easy to get stuck in, in word searches. It's easy to get tied up with language and parsing and, and seeing how the things are said. And those things can be profitable. But if we back up, and take a big picture look at what the will of God is or what the plan of God is that Jesus fulfilled. We have to say that man started off in the image and likeness of God, righteous, therefore. Did God ever tell Adam and Eve anything about being righteous? It wasn't necessary. It was their nature. Did he ever have to tell them anything about their way they feel versus the way things really were? No, because they were righteous. Man lost that righteousness. I believe he was clothed, man was, Adam and Eve were clothed with righteousness, which shined all about their body just like Moses' face shined when he came down from the mountain where he received the Ten Commandments. I believe they were lit up, if you will, like a light bulb. But when they sinned, The Bible said that they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. The light went out. The Bible says through Adam's sin, Romans 5, 12, through Adam's sin, death passed upon all men. Once sin entered the world, then spiritual death was the result. That's exactly what God said would happen when he warned them against eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, they didn't die physically. He wasn't talking about physical death. Adam lived 930 years after the fall here on the earth. But they died spiritually. They became separated or estranged from God, their father. And spiritual death became the norm and held in bondage all of mankind from that point forward until Jesus came. What did Jesus do? Jesus brought righteousness back to man. Now somebody has defined righteousness as the ability to stand before God without a sense of guilt or shame. That's a great definition. But I think a lot of times when we hear that, we focus on the guilt and shame part. And we think that since we do feel 
have an emotion of shame and guilt. I think that causes a lot of people to fail to take hold of the righteousness of God that belongs to them. One of the very simplest and direct, most direct perhaps, definitions of righteousness is rightness. Jesus came to make things right. He came to make things right. Now, what makes things right? Rejoining God the Father with man or mankind. How's that going to take place? Well, we know Jesus had to become our sacrifice. He had to shed his blood and offer his life as a substitute for us. But at the resurrection, it made righteousness available to each one of us. And that's what takes place and happens at the new birth. You remember in uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, it tells us about uh, uh, Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, part of the Jewish council. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Master, we know you're come from God because nobody can do this stuff unless God's with them. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That gives us another clue. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring provides for being reunited through the new birth. Reunited with God through the new birth. We know that has to be true because the Bible tells us, Paul wrote to us by the Holy Ghost and said that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, out of Satan's rule, and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, that kingdom of his dear son talking about Jesus, the Son of God. If it's the kingdom of Jesus, it's got to be the kingdom of God, doesn't it? So thank God we now have been translated into the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus' definition, where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. And isn't that exactly what he sent them out to do? Both the 12 and the 70. They were sent out to make things right. The Bible says in 1 John Chapter 3, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, what did he destroy? Sickness and disease. There were miracles that Jesus performed that overcame lack. The feeding of the 5,000 is an example. Things that Jesus fixed or changed or conquered were all the works of the devil. And that was the purpose for which he came. But again, it falls under the umbrella of making things right. We were created in the image and likeness of God. Our nature was God's nature. Therefore, we were righteous. Again, God didn't have to have a righteousness seminar for Adam and Eve. It's all they knew. That's what they were. They didn't know what it was to be anything else and wouldn't have if they hadn't disobeyed God. Look with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Remember we read this in Luke. Luke chapter 9. Matthew puts it at at a different time in his ministry. In Jesus' ministry here on the earth. 
and he gives us a little bit more information about the time that it occurred. Let's start with Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Little, little different wording, but same thing that Luke chapter 9 talks about at the end of the chapter. And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. See, folks, this is the same incident, just Matthew's account of it. And Jesus said unto them, whom say, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not his name, but talking about the rock of revelation, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And upon this rock, the knowledge of who Jesus is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation I like says, the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. See, so many people have the idea that the devil's under attack, he's the one on the move, and we're just trying to defend ourselves. But the Bible paints exactly the opposite picture. The people of God are on the move and the devil is backtracking step by step by step. Verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, folks, if this happened later in Jesus' ministry, I like the fact that Luke kind of puts them together, puts together the, the authority and power over d devils and disease, along with the incidents or the, uh, uh, the time, the occurrence, where Jesus talks to them and they recognize and confess that he's the Christ. I like that, the, that Luke puts those together because if there was a great separation, and it may have been, I don't know the time frame, nobody else does either. But if there's a, a, a separation between the, the time where the, uh, uh, the 12 were given authority over the devil and over sickness and disease, and Jesus asking them about who he is, they confess him as Christ. If there's a big lax or lag time between that, and Jesus has told them to preach that he's the Messiah and that he's come to the earth, that he's the Son of God, then why didn't the disciples ask the question, you want us to not tell people that now? We've been telling them that for a long time. But that's not their reaction. And the only reason it wouldn't be their reaction is if that's not what they've been preaching. And it wasn't. Folks, I want you to understand something. When the 12 went out and the 70 followed, preaching the gospel of the kingdom it wasn't necessary for people to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Healing and miracles didn't hang on that. That sounds almost sacrilegious to us, doesn't it? If it didn't hang on Jesus being the Christ, what did it hang on? The simple truth that the disciples and the 70 proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was near. That God had plans to restore the earth in right order. 
How'd they prove that? Through healing of sickness and disease. Through cleansing the lepers. Through casting out devils. Through raising the dead. You remember the story over in Mark chapter 2? Turn with me if you will. We'll look at this again. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, and again, he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together. Other translations say he was in his house. Straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not as much as are about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came to him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, And when they had broken it up, they let down the the bed whereon the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus immediately, and when Jesus immediately perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether or which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that thou may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth. Please notice he said Son of Man, not Son of God. When he says Son of Man, he's identifying himself with mankind. This becomes important when you understand what Jesus was telling the disciples after the resurrection. I believe it's Mark's account where Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. They're born again. Their nature changes. Their behavior certainly changed. Behavior about being open, in, open uh, worshiping God openly in the temple and such instead of being behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. So Jesus breathes on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. And then he said, whosoever sins you remit are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. He's talking about receiving the Holy Ghost in connection with remission of sins. That has to be salvation. But is he giving the disciples the the, the power to decide whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are not? No. He's not giving that power to them. But he's commissioning them in the same way that he did before he went to the cross. He's commissioning them in the same way that he did in Luke chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10. He's commissioning them. To take the good news of the gospel of the kingdom and whosoever receives them. All it takes is faith. Whosoever receives it or accepts it. Under the new covenant their sins are remitted. See you and I have the power to remit sins. How do we do that? Through the knowledge of the word. What do we have to know? We have to know that somebody's willing to accept the truth that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead and confess him as Lord and Savior, then they're saved. See, that's what Jesus is talking about, man remitting sins. If we offer, have an altar call or talk to somebody one-on-one, whatever the case might be, if they choose to accept what the Bible says about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and are willing to take a step of action to confess him as Lord and Savior, that's what brings remission of sins. And we have every right to tell them, your sins are, are remitted. 
So the power of forgiveness is not ours. But the privilege of leading, leading somebody into it is. Verse 10 again, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way in thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Now, why is Jesus talking about which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal the sick? Why is he talking about it in that, in that way? And why is, does he say, here's the proof that I can forgive sins on the earth, healing the sick or the crippled man? How is it that he said that healing is the proof of the forgiveness of sins? How is it that he said that healing? And why would healing be the proof that our sins are remitted? Because folks, sickness didn't come on the scene until sin took place. The price for sin is the same price for sickness and disease. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that you can have the will of God in your body here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Just like you've experienced the will of God in your spirit by being born again. Same price. Same blood. And that's the restoration to right order. That Jesus died for. Now folks the Bible talks about fruits of righteousness. And some people get hung up. And and there's been a lot of teaching in recent years. About the grace of God. And the fact that we're under grace. And that's wonderful. I'm glad people have got some revelation about it. But some people take the position that we're so not under the law that you've almost got to take issue with Paul when he writes about the fruits of righteousness. Some people seem to put off the idea that righteousness is proven by us not living right just so that we can say we're not under the law. And folks, that's just ignorance gone to seed. The Bible's not telling us to work our way into right standing with God or through our behavior we gain some place of right standing before God. But it is saying that we should let righteousness, the new birth, the restoration to right order, dominate our lives in such a way that people can clearly see the effects of the new birth on us. And that's all the fruit of righteousness is. It's us allowing the righteousness of God to dominate us in such a way that it affects the way we live. And the world is going to see something out of us, aren't they? Whether positively or negatively, good or bad. The world is going to see something of us. Shouldn't they see the effects of the new birth? I believe they should. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 16 again.
based on the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior. Based on that knowledge, verse 19 says, again, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice he said the keys will bring forth, and obviously we have to use them well or use them effectively, use them in the right way. But Jesus is saying, and if anybody ought to know, it should be him. Jesus is saying that the keys of the kingdom of heaven will enable you to exercise authority so that things will be here on the earth just like they are in heaven. He calls that binding and loosing. Whatever you prohibit, to bind means to prohibit or forbid. To loose simply means allow, means to untie. So here's Jesus saying the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which are all founded on the knowledge that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ. The belief that we have that he died on the cross as our substitute, Paid the price once and for all, eternally, for original sin as well as our personal sins, individual sins. Based on that knowledge, how many of us have that knowledge? Well, some of you are either lazy or unsaved, and I hope that you fix whatever that is. The knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was our substitute, that he died and shed his blood, as well as being raised again from the dead to to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He said that opens the door. That creates the ability for us to use these keys of the kingdom to make our life here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, folks, the only difference that there should be for any and all of us between our life here and our life in heaven, the only difference should be the presence of Satan. Let me say this a different way. We should live and walk in victory in such a manner, in such a degree, that it would be hard to even tell there is a devil in this earth. That's what God intended. He intended it from the beginning before sin ever entered into the scene. He intended for man to exercise dominion and authority on the earth as a righteous creature. And that's what Jesus came to fulfill. We're righteous creatures. Maybe a better way to say that is we're righteous new creatures in Christ. And that should bring us such a place of victory, such a foundation of victory. that our lives here on the earth, even as God described in the Old Testament, we're spent as days of heaven on the earth. Days of heaven on the earth. Well, what are those keys? Well, clearly one of the keys of the kingdom has to be the name of Jesus. Because even with the the 12 and the 70, the 70 came back according to Luke 10, 17, saying even the, the evil spirits, demon spirits, are subject unto us through thy name. So they use the name then. The name of Jesus is greater now than it was even when they used it. 
because of his sacrifice and his conquest over death. So the name of Jesus clearly has to be one of those keys. But notice in Matthew 16 again, verse 19, where he talks about the keys of the kingdom of heaven being given to us so that we can exercise authority. We can forbid the works of the devil here on the earth in our lives. We can allow and take hold of the will and the plan and the purpose of God in heaven for our lives here on the earth. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Let me read that again. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Remember, those are the works Jesus said he didn't do of himself. He clearly identifies many times during his ministry. John really tells us more about it than any of the others, but it's mentioned in some of the others too, meaning the other gospels. But Jesus made a big deal about saying the works that I do are not of myself. He says, I, didn't, I don't have inherent power to do this. Well, if he didn't have inherent power to do the works and the healings and the miracles, where did he get it? He said that he was anointed of God. He preached from Luke, in Luke chapter 4 from what we know of as Isaiah 61. Jesus preached the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And then he talks about all the stuff he's anointed to do. Preaching the gospel of the poor, healing the brokenhearted. Again, that brokenhearted, that uh, word brokenhearted doesn't mean hurt emotions. It's not talking about emotions at all. It's talking about the spirit of man. It's talking about the brokenness of spirit that sin and spiritual death created. It's talking about the separation because of spiritual death that man between man and God. He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. In other words, I came to make right the separation of mankind from my father. He said he was to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. There's authority over the devil and healing to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee when all things were restored back to original possession. So in each one of those things, Jesus is saying, I'm anointed to make things right. I'm anointed to restore right order. Now, folks, I hate to say if that's true because we know that it has to be true because Jesus said it. If it's not true, then we're wasting our time trying to worship a liar. Thank God it's true. But since that's true, there should be no excuse whatsoever for us not expecting the will of God in heaven to be done in our lives here on the earth. And so much of the church world has the idea that when we just get to heaven, everything will be all right. Because their thinking is, Things are a lot different in heaven than they are here. But they're not supposed to be. Certainly Satan and his work in the earth has created a deficiency 
in comparison to the way that God first created the earth. For example, when God first created the earth, we find out a little bit about how things were supposed to work after the fall or because of the fall. Remember the curse that came upon the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. God said, now the earth will bring forth fruit only by the sweat of your brow. Well, what produced fruit before then? Apparently, you judge this for yourself, but apparently the earth provided for mankind through his words, through the exercise of his authority, through the spoken word. But when the fall took place, then God told Adam and Eve, now you're going to have to work the ground. It's going to be produced for you and yield for you only according to the work of your hands. And folks, that has a spiritual connotation too. Look at how the church is trying to work themselves through their own human efforts, the work of their hands, trying to work themselves back into God or back into God's presence or into his favor. And you just can't do it. It's a miserable way to live. Then God said, the earth will produce thorns and thistles. There was no thorn until after the fall. I'm sure after God finished pronouncing these curses and things that took place or would take place because of Adam and Eve's disobedience and rebellion, I'm sure God had to explain a lot of things to them. Like what's a thorn? Maybe God said grab that rose over there. Oh, that's a thorn. There was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind before the fall in any way whatsoever. So think of it like this, folks. The curse, every curse, every curse of disobedience, the curse of law, the curse of the law, everything that brought sadness and harm to mankind is the work. How do I say this? Well, bottom line is, is the will of the devil. And Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus redeemed us from the, from the will and the results of the devil's work. For what purpose? Well, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 14, that or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. So every blessing, every good thing is the will of God and is either just like or an image of the blessings and the good things in heaven. And Jesus came to make things right or to make things so that we don't know anything but blessings. Because of our work? No. Because of the work that Jesus completed. He's redeemed us from the will and the works of the devil. And remember, Jesus proved that. He said, I'm going to prove to you that I've got power to forgive sins. How are you going to prove that, Jesus? By healing the crippled guy, the guy that was sick of the palsy. He proved that the power of sin was broken and that man could forgive sins on the earth 
Again, for us, it's through Jesus. He proved that by healing the sick. By breaking the power of the devil over sickness and disease. Back to John 14. Let's finish reading here. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. In other words, he's saying, because I'm going to the Father, you'll do the will of the Father just like I have. And greater works than these shall he do. What are the greater works? I have no idea. There's no way you can do a greater work in quality than Jesus did. Maybe he's talking about quantity. Because of the church being spread out over the earth. I don't know. If that's not it, I don't have a clue. What greater work can you do than what Jesus did? He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. At the very least, we have record of a statement by Jesus that shows us God has other things for us to do according to his will that were even greater than Jesus. And again, I don't know what that would be. But it's God's will for us to do greater works. Now, some people will say, yeah, well, Jesus healed the sick when he was here on the earth. But we're, we're doing greater works by getting people saved. Well, okay. I don't know that I can argue with that. I don't know that that's all of it, but let's say that it is. How do you get, a, get away with doing away with and taking away what Jesus said we would do first? He said you'd do the same works and greater works. So no matter what you want to define greater works to be, Healing still has to be part of the works of the church. Has to be. Or else Jesus is a liar. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask, the word ask is the word call for, demand, or require. It doesn't mean make a request. He's talking about man exercising his authority. Just like he talked in Matthew 16 about man exercising authority, binding and loosing here on the earth. Whatever you bind on the earth, heaven will back you up. Whatever you loose on the earth, heaven will back you up. It starts here on the earth with man. The keys of the kingdom are given to us to exercise authority over the works of the devil. In the same way. Jesus is saying, the works that I do shall you do also if you believe on me. And even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall call for, require, or demand in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask, call for, require, or demand. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, folks, when you put Matthew together with John 14, Matthew 16 together with John 14, there's an unescapable, inescapable conclusion that we must come to. And that is the name of Jesus unlocks the power of heaven to back us up whenever we exercise our authority. Anybody with the intelligence just to read would have to come to that conclusion. Now, I know the church doesn't. By and large, the modern-day church doesn't come to that conclusion. I know that a lot of people will try to explain things away. Healing's been done away with. Well, that means God's changed then. 
man doesn't have authority on the earth like he did in the beginning, well, then we're going to have to tear out this page of the Bible. I know there are all kinds of excuses that are made for why we don't get the same results that the Bible says we should get. Maybe we could even say we don't get the same results. The modern day church doesn't get the same results that the early church did. But folks, we can't fault God for that. Because he tells us how to do it. He tells us how to do it. And everything about the letters of Paul, and uh, well, all the New Testament letters for that matter, everything about the revelation of Paul is to show us, to reveal to us what putting things in right order really means. What Jesus coming to the earth to reunite God with his finest creation, man, really means. What man being restored to right order, meaning righteousness, enables him to do. Everything about what Jesus did was focused on that. We've talked about it before, but Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus appears to his disciples and says, all hail. Go into all the world. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, he said. Go ye therefore into all the earth, all the world, and make disciples. The first thing Jesus said in the Great Commission that so many churches try to cut out, healings and authority of the devil and so forth, The very first thing Jesus said was, I have authority, now you go use it in the earth. It's the first thing he said. But the modern day church sits back and whines and moans and groans. Says, oh, when we get to heaven. When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Because we're so weak and sickly and beat up upon down here. Now I'm going to get a letter from somebody saying, you really sang my favorite song badly. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the work of our hands here on the earth. That was God's original plan for man, and that's exactly what Jesus restored man to. And he wasn't shy about telling us either. The Bible says it over and over and over and over again. The keys of the kingdom of heaven, the name of Jesus, the authority that we have through that name and the power of God's word. Those are the three keys as far as I'm concerned. Those keys enable us to live in victory on the earth just like we will in heaven. And that's the right order that Jesus restored. That's the right order. That encapsulates and summarizes the whole of what Jesus came to the earth to do. Thank God we've been made righteous. Thank God our names are written down in heaven. And thank God for the authority we have to make 
our lives here on the earth just like God will have them to be for us in heaven. Thank God we can live in victory over the enemy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that your kingdom has come. We've been translated out of the power of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and translated into the kingdom of, that Jesus made available to us through his sacrifice. We thank you, Father, that we are of your nature, new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are once again in and of your nature, just like Adam and Eve were before the fall. We thank you, Father, that that's not a place of weakness, a place of barely holding on, hoping for Jesus' return so he can help us to escape this terrible place. But rather, Father, I pray that each and every one of us, each and every person under the sound of my voice, would come to the realization, the truth of the place of authority, the great place of authority that we hold over everything that resulted in this earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. I thank you, Father, for what Jesus told us, what he gave us, Jesus said, whatever we call for, require, demand in his name, he would do it. And that in so doing, it would glorify you, Heavenly Father. The exercise of our authority glorifies you, Father. Oh, let that become a reality to each one. The exercise of our authority in the earth glorifies the Father. Father, let us live lives in such a way that righteousness dominates us. That the wisdom of God leads us and directs us. And that the authority that we've been given in the name of Jesus produces not only victory for us, but sets others free too. We thank you, Father, that all these things have been made so through the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for offering your life willingly for us to be free. We magnify you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you. We bless you for all that you've done for us. For all that you've done for us. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Let's all stand, please. Let's lift our hands and just worship him for just a moment. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We thank you, Father. We refuse to allow the work of the devil in our lives. We refuse to think his thoughts. We refuse to yield to his influence. We refuse to be denied.
what Jesus purchased for us. Thank you, Father. We worship you for your great plan of redemption. For restoring things in right order. So that we are once again your children. Subject to your care and your love. And the truth of your word. We bless you, Holy Father. We bless you. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say this after me and let your heart agree with it. Don't just mouth the words, but let your heart agree with this. In the name of Jesus, I refuse to allow any work of the devil in my life. I refuse to yield to any of the devil's works because Jesus paid the price for me to be free. I take the keys of the kingdom of heaven and refuse to allow Satan in my body, in my finances, in any and every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that it is for me here on the earth, just as it will be in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, the keys of the kingdom of heaven mean something to God. Let them mean something to you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Come back and be with us tonight for Healing School if you can. And you're dismissed. Don't forget the uh, fellowship out in the lobby for Curtin Brighton.